إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد if all of the children can now come downstairs and sit down quietly for the lesson and do not run up the stairs or go upstairs any further. So today then we're on this section where the author says وَقُلْ إِنَّ خَيْرَ النَّاسِ بَعْدَ مُحَمَّدٍ وَزِيرَاهُ قِدْمًا ثُمَّ عُثْمَانَ الْأَرْجَحُ وَرَابِعُهُمْ خَيْرُ الْبَرِيَّةِ بَعْدَهُمْ عَلِيٌّ حَلِيفُ الْخَيْرِ بِالْخَيْرِ مُنْجِحُ So this section now is going to talk about who are the best of the Muslims in this ummah after the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he says, say that the best of the people after Muhammad are his two ministers from old. Meaning Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu and Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu thumma Uthman al-Arjahu and then Uthman ibn Affan radiyallahu anhu warabi'uhum and the fourth of them khayrul bariyyati ba'dahum the best of all the people after them Aliyun, Ali ibn Abi Talib, Haliful Khairi bil Khairi Munjihu. So, what we are discussing here now is who are the best of all of the people in this Ummah after Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this is basically going to be talking about the companions. So the first question is, who are the companions? The companions of the Prophet ﷺ, in Arabic known as the Sahaba, the Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum, the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, who were they? That's the first question. So who can tell us then, who can define, give us a definition of who the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam were? Okay. Somebody who has seen the Prophet ﷺ and believed in him. Anyone else have anything to add before we write down the final definition? And died upon Islam. Don't write anything yet. 
This is not the definition yet. We'll write the final definition in a minute. So far we have said someone who saw the Prophet ﷺ believed in him. So a Muslim who saw the Prophet ﷺ believed in him and died upon Islam. Anybody with anything to add to that? They all, the ones who saw the Prophet ﷺ at that time, every companion was upon the Sunnah. Heard, you mean narrated a hadith from him, heard some hadith from him? So what do you mean, what's your definition then? So what about if someone was deaf? Your point is right though. We should not say that a companion is someone who saw the messenger and believed in him and died upon Islam. Because there were some companions who were blind and they never saw the messenger. So the definition you can write is a companion, the companions, is someone who met the Prophet Man laqiya bihi, whoever met the Prophet and believed in him, and died upon Islam, and died upon Islam, Even if in between apostasy occurred, and there are very few examples, but even if in between apostasy occurred, man laqiya bihi mu'minan bihi wa mata ala al-islam wa inta khallalat bil-ridda. Whomsoever met the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, believed in him and died upon Islam. That means anybody who did not meet the Prophet ﷺ cannot be called a companion. And even if someone met him, but he didn't believe in him, then those people can't be called companions. So there were many disbelievers Mushrikun from the Quraysh who met the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam but they aren't going to be called companions because even though they met him they did not believe in him so you have to have met the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and you have to have believed in him and you have to have died upon Islam as a Muslim Meaning if somebody met the Prophet ﷺ, believed in him, but then later actually died as a non-Muslim. Maybe they left Islam and they died as a non-Muslim. So then will they be considered a companion? No. So remember those points. A companion, a Sahabi, the Sahaba. Someone who met the Prophet ﷺ, believed in him, 
and died upon Islam. Three important things. So now then, companions were obviously there for those people who were alive at the time when the Prophet ﷺ was alive. The companions are going to be those people who were alive at the time when the Prophet ﷺ was alive. And not just that, but they are going to be those ones who believed in him at that time. The believers. And not only that, but the ones who then also died upon Islam. So what if upon that definition, a jinni comes into the mosque right now? A jinn walks into Masjid al-Huda right now and says he is a companion. Because he tells you that he was alive at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. Jinn can live longer than humans. He says he was alive at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. And that he's a Muslim. He's a Muslim, he tells us. He testifies he's a Muslim. So currently, obviously we don't know what's going to happen when he dies. But currently then... Upon the definition, he is considered a companion. So now if a jinni walks in and makes that claim, can we reject that claim? Jinn can live longer than humans. Maybe we don't know how they are created. It's a different creation. So he says he's been alive all that time since the time of the Prophet. And how many years is that? 1,400 and more now. 1400 years plus he says he was alive at that time and he's a believer testifies to la ilaha illallah so currently technically he's supposed to be a companion how can we reject that can that be possible hmm? no he testifies he was muslim a, a group of them come he brings his witnesses they were all alive at that time and they all believed in the messenger at that time. So can we refuse that testimony if a jinni came and claimed that? That's it. It is not possible. No jinni can come now and say he is a companion and he was alive at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. Impossible. Because there is a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, <clears throat> and this was in the year 10 Hijri. In the year 10 Hijri, the Prophet ﷺ, just before he died, he mentioned this hadith that there is not anything that breathes, meaning from the jinn and the humans, uh, something like in the narration, Ma min nafsin manfusa. There is no soul now alive on the earth that will still be alive a hundred years from now. 
So that means all of the jinn at that time who saw the Prophet and met him, definitely after 100 years, none of them was alive. The last companion, when did he die? A hundred years. The last one died a hundred years after the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that after the death of the Prophet. The last companion died in 110 Hijri. And who was that? Abu Tufail Wafil ibn Amir Very close, that's it Abu Tufail Abu Tufail If you look in the biography In Seer Alam al-Nubala Or in Tahrib al-Kamal One of the books of the biographies He says he was a young boy, Abu, uh, Abu Tufail. He was a young boy when he saw the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in Hijjat al-Wida'. He must have been a few years old, a young boy at that time. He says, I remember seeing the Prophet in the Hajj. So he died a hundred and something years old. He was a few, maybe eight, nine, ten years old. When he saw the Prophet ﷺ in the farewell hajj And then he died a hundred years later So the point is No jinni can come now And say I was alive then and I saw the Prophet We have the hadith telling us It is impossible After one hundred years They were all gone So then The next generation who came after the companions They are known as the The tabi'oon the tabi'oon, the, basically the students of the companions, the next generation after the companions. And then you have their students, the third generation. And those three generations, the generation of the companions, alive with the Prophet wasallam, then the generation of their students, the next generation, and then the generation of their students, the next generation, those three generations are mentioned in the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, خَيْرُكُمْ قَرْنِي ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ The best of you are my generation, the Prophet said. His generation were the companions. Then, he said, then those who come after them, meaning the next generation, and then those who come after them, the third generation. Those first three generations are the best of all of this ummah. They were the best of the generations. They were the best of the people, the companions who lived with the Prophet ﷺ. Then... The next generation after them, their children, and that next generation, and then that next generation. وَخَيْرُ هَذِهِ الْقُرُونَ هُوَ قَرْنُ الصَّحَابَةِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ So the best of all of those three first generations is obviously the first generation, the companions. وَقَدْ مَدَحَهُمُ اللَّهُ فِي كِتَابِهِ وَرَضِيَ عَنْهُمْ قَالَ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى وَالسَّابِقُونَ 
والسابقون الأولون من المهاجرين والأنصار والذين اتبعوهم بإحسان رضي الله عنهم ورضوا عنه وأعد لهم جنات تجري تحتها الأنهار خالدين فيها أبدا ذلك الفوز العظيم There are many ayat in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises the companions and mentions many good things about the companions. This is one example in Surah At-Tawbah, Ayah 100, where Allah talks about those early Muslims. Al-Sabiqoon the early Muslims, the ones who became Muslim first. Because when the Prophet ﷺ started teaching people about Islam, the first ones who became Muslim in the early days, and the Muhajirun, who are the Muhajirun? Which companions are known as the Muhajirun? The ones who migrated from Mecca to Medina, because as you know, originally the Prophet ﷺ was in Mecca, born in Mecca. But then because the disbelievers, they kept pressurizing him and tormenting him and punishing him and doing various evil things towards him and the Muslims, he ﷺ and the Muslims eventually left Mecca and went to Medina. The Muslims from Mecca who left and went with the messenger to Medina, they are known as the Muhajirun. The Muhajirun, the ones who migrated. And the Ansar, they are which ones? The ones who were in Medina, the helpers. The Muslims who were in Medina, they helped the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims that came from Mecca, they helped them with all of their things because those Muslims who came from Mecca, they had nothing in Medina. So then the Muslims in Medina took them in and greeted them and helped them with everything and to get settled. And they aided the Prophet ﷺ. They are the Ansar. So in this ayah, Allah tells us that he is pleased with them and they with him. And Allah has prepared for them gardens under which rivers flow and they will remain therein forever. And that is the great success. And there are many ayat, the shaykh, he gives many different examples here, many different ayat in the Qur'an, many different places where Allah talks about the companions, those who were believers with the Prophet ﷺ at that time. The companions were many, thousands of them, and some of them are better than others. Some of the companions are considered in higher level than other companions. One example we just gave there. The Muhajirun, they are considered greater in level, higher than the Ansar. Because the Muhajirun, they came into Islam from the early days and they sacrificed everything, left it all behind in Mecca and went 
with the Prophet ﷺ to Medina. All of that sacrifice and that entering into Islam from the early days, that gives them superiority over the Ansar who were already in Medina living there. Another example is the ten who were given the glad tidings of paradise. And the rest of those are going to be mentioned coming up in the next section. But if we get to the main point here, the main point here is who was the best companion to start with? Who was the best companion from all of the companions to start with? And that is, of course, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu. So everybody remember and make a note. The best of all of the companions was Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu. And how was he connected to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the simple way? He was the best and the first companion. And how was he connected? What was the relationship? Was there any relationship between Abu Bakr and the Prophet ﷺ? So the Prophet ﷺ had married the daughter of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. And her name was of course Aisha. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. Radiallahu anhu had a daughter, one of his daughters called Aisha, and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had married her. And in a hadith, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam even said, The most beloved, the most beloved of all of the men to me is Abu Bakr as Siddiq, radiallahu anhu. And he said that if I was to take someone as a Khalil, as the most beloved, like people say these days, as a best friend, then I would have made Abu Bakr my Khalil. So he was the beloved of the Prophet ﷺ, and he is the best of all of the companions. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu. And there are evidences in the Quran, in the Sunnah, talking about the virtues and the greatness of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu. He was the best of all of the companions. And when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam died, who took charge? Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. And this is also one of the proofs that he was the best. Of all of the others, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, he took charge after the death of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So he is the best of this ummah after the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He became Muslim right at the beginning. In fact, the narration mentions he was the first from the Men who became Muslim, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu. So he entered into Islam from those early days. And he aided the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and was with him 
in, in those difficult times in Mecca. In fact, on the night of Al-Isra Al-Mi'raj, when the Prophet ﷺ was taken up to the heavens, when the Prophet ﷺ was taken up to the heavens on the night of Al-Isra Al-Mi'raj, when the prayer was established, when he came back and informed the people of his night journey, the Mushrikun of Quraysh, they began to mock him, to laugh at him. And they said to Abu Bakr, have you heard what your Sahib says? Have you heard what your friend says? They were saying to Abu Bakr as Siddiq, have you heard what your friend is saying? Talking about Muhammad sallallahu He says that he went all the way to the heavens and came back in one night. They were making a joke out of it. They didn't believe it. They, he says he went all the way to the heavens and came back in one night. So Abu Bakr as-Siddiq said to them, if that's what he says, then I believe him. If that's what he says, then I believe him. I even believe him in things that are greater than that, that are even more difficult to believe than that. I believe that revelation comes down to him from the heavens. So Abu Bakr was known as As-Siddiq, the truthful one who believed in the Prophet wasallam. So he is the best of all of this ummah, all of the Muslims after the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam in this ummah. Then after him, who is the second one? Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu. Umar al-Faruq. Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu. Umar ibn al-Khattab he was the second best. And when Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu died, who took charge? Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu. And it's mentioned that Umar ibn al-Khattab was a powerful man. He was a powerful man. And to the extent that when he became Muslim, a powerful man who was respected and known by the people, he entered into Islam. That was something which brought strength to the Muslims. Having him now amongst the believers brought strength to the Muslims because he was known as a man of strength and power and standing in that regard. There are some narrations about how if he walked down the road and uh, one of the shayateen was coming, the shayateen would run to the other side of the road to avoid him. So he was known for that strength and power, Umar ibn al-Khattab. It is mentioned in the narrations in Sirah when he became Muslim, this was a great honor to the believers to have Umar ibn al-Khattab entering into Islam. Because prior to him, prior to him, and prior to Hamza, who was the uncle of the Prophet before Hamza and Umar, 
radiyallahu anhuma became Muslim, the Muslims didn't have that power. But when they, those two, radiyallahu anhuma entered into Islam, it is mentioned in Seerah that now the believers had some strength via the Islam of Hamza and Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhuma. So he was the second Khalifa, as it's known as. The first Khalifa, meaning the first person who took charge after the Prophet ﷺ died was Abu Bakr. The second Khalifa, the second person to take charge to be the leader when Abu Bakr died was Umar ibn al-Khattab. Then the third one, who is the third best after Abu Bakr and then Umar, then it was Ali. Maybe you could say that centuries ago because there was some difference of opinion in the early days. In the early centuries, the early scholars, hundreds of you were talking over a thousand years ago or so, those early scholars did have a discussion about this. Who is the third best? First best, no discussion, Abu Bakr. Second best, no discussion. Umar, radiallahu anhuma. But third best, there was a discussion and a debate between the scholars in the early days. Is it Uthman ibn Affan or is it Ali ibn Abi Talib, radiallahu Which one of the two is the third best? Because when you look at the Sunnah in the books, Bukhari, Muslim, the books of Hadith, there are many hadith talking about how good Uthman is, and there are many hadith talking about how good Ali is, about the virtues of Uthman and the virtues of Ali. There are many. And so the scholars had a bit of a discussion. There are so many narrations about Uthman, so many narrations about Ali. Ali has these virtues and those virtues. Uthman has this virtue and that virtue. There was a debate between the scholars who is number three? Is it Uthman or is it Ali? In the end, as Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah mentions, in the end, that debate came to a conclusion. It, in the end, that debate was closed. Because in the end, the agreement and the conclusion that the scholars came to was that Uthman is the third best. So Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah said that discussion and that debate, in the end it was agreed that Uthman ibn Affan is the third best. Make a note though, the discussion and the debate was never about who should have been the third Khalifa. This is a small thing that the people of innovation try to make into a point. The discussion and the debate was never about who should have been the third leader after Abu Bakr and then Umar died. That was always agreed that it was deserving to be Uthman. Nobody disagreed with that. The debate and the discussion was only about which one of the two has more virtues, not which one of the two was deserving to be the third Khalifa. There's a difference. 
Who was deserving to be the third Khalifa? Not a discussion. Agreed, Uthman. But who had more virtue and the hadith and the narrations? A discussion was about that. So even if some of them believed Ali has more virtues mentioned in the hadith, they all still agreed. But Uthman was the one deserving to be the third Khalifa. No discussion there. The people of innovation, they try to twist this and say, look, the scholars were disagreed about who should be the third Khalifa and who should be the... No, they were never. They were agreed, Uthman is the third and Ali is the fourth. Their discussion was purely about the virtues of each of them, who has more virtue, who has more narrations, etc. But in the end, in the end, even that was settled, even that was settled in the end, and it was agreed that the more virtues are for Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu so he is the third, that's why he says in the poem, Thumma Uthmanu al Arjahu. That it is Uthman uh, who was concluded upon, and he was the one who is deserving of that third uh, position. Uthman ibn Affan, he is also one of the companions who made two migrations. The first migration, because Initially, at the beginning, the Prophet ﷺ was born and raised in Mecca, and the revelation began. He was in Mecca. He became a prophet. He was in Mecca, surrounded by the kuffar. They were all disbelievers, kuffar, mushrikun. So after he got the prophethood and then began spreading that slowly, and other people started to become Muslim slowly. The disbelievers started putting pressure on them and harming them and doing bad things to them. So the Prophet ﷺ told the Muslims to leave Mecca. The first initial time, the original time to leave Mecca and to go to Abyssinia, the land of Habasha. And these days I think it's around about Ethiopia, around those areas in Africa, North Africa. So the Muslims initially left Mecca to get away from the disbelievers who were harming them and they went to Habasha, they, uh, they went to uh, Abyssinia or that Ethiopian region. Then it's mentioned in some of the stories of Sirah that they heard, they heard that the Quraysh have all become Muslims. And some of the scholars mentioned this story and some of them do not. They heard that the, Mus that the Quraysh have become Muslims, so they came back. But when they came back, they realized that the stories were not true and that Quraysh had not actually become Muslim. And there's a lot mentioned in the seerah about that first hijrah when they actually went. The Quraysh weren't happy that the Muslims had got out and away from them. And so they sent gifts to Najashi. Najashi who was in charge there. Najashi, there were different Najashis as well. Najashi was not one person. Najashi just means the ruler. Like Pharaoh. Pharaoh isn't one person. Pharaoh or every person who rules over Egypt was known as a Pharaoh. And the Caesar in Rome, the people who ruled over that area known as the Caesar. And so in that area of Ethiopia, etc., the rulers of the Christians were known as the Najashi. So the Najashi at that time, they sent him gifts and they tried to tell him to kick out those Muslims and send them back to Mecca. But he refused. 
He refused when he saw the ayat about Isa alayhi salam and Maryam in the Quran. So Uthman ibn Affan was one of the Muslims who made that original migration. And then afterwards he made the second migration where all of the Muslims went to Medina. So that is Uthman. Then the fourth one, وَرَابِعُهُمْ خَيْرُ الْبَرِيَّةِ بَعْدَهُمْ عَلِيٌّ حَلِيفُ الْخَيْرِ بِالْخَيْرِ مُنْجِحُ So then the fourth one is Ali ibn Abi Talib. Ali ibn Abi Talib. In fact, before we go to Ali ibn Abi Talib, over stick. So Ali ibn Abi Talib, radiyallahu anhu, what was his relationship to the Prophet Before marriage, before marriage, what was his relationship to the Prophet Ali ibn Abi Talib's father was the Prophet uncle. The Prophet's uncle, Abu Talib, is the father of Ali. Which means Ali was therefore the first cousin of the Prophet The uncle of the Prophet was the father of Ali. Ali ibn Abi Talib. And Abu Talib was the one who looked after the Prophet and raised him after the parents of the Prophet died and the Prophet was only eight, uh, six years old in most of the narrations. And then his grandfather died, he was only eight, and then Abu Talib looked after him. So they were related in that way. And then after that also, Ali ibn Abi Talib became related by marrying who? Fatima, who was the daughter of the Prophet So Ali ibn Abi Talib, he was the fourth Khalifa. The fourth best. And there are many virtues and narrations about him as well. Uh, one example, the Prophet said to Ali, Ama tarda an takuna minni bimanzilati Haruna min Musa illa annahu la nabiyya ba'di. The Prophet said to Ali ibn Abi Talib, Are you not pleased that you be compared to me like that of Harun compared to Musa. How Harun السلام, his position was towards Musa or relative to Musa, then your position is like that relative to me. Meaning it is a praise of Ali radiallahu anhu, Harun to Musa, that is an elevated status. And the Prophet ﷺ is telling Ali radiallahu anhu, that's the kind of status you have. You are to me as Harun was to Musa alayhim as And there is the narration as Shaykh al-Fawzan mentions about the battle of Tabuk. When the believers, they went to Tabuk, to the battle of Tabuk, Ali ibn Abi Talib was not able to go because... Oh, that, no, sorry, that was in Tabuk, in fact. That narration was mentioned in Tabuk. The other one was in Khaybar, when Ali ibn Abi Talib was not able to go. 
Ali ibn Abi Talib was not able to go because of a problem with his eyes. But then afterwards when the Muslims they left, he was unable to stay behind. He couldn't bear it that all of the Muslims have gone and he's been left behind. So he went even with his eye problem. And when he got there, we know the story, the Prophet ﷺ spittled into his eyes and made dua and he was cured and he led the army with the flag on that day. So that is Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu What is mentioned about Ali ibn Abi Talib becoming Muslim, that he was the first of the children to become Muslim because they say that the first man to free man to become Muslim was Abu Bakr as-Siddiq he was the first one to believe the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the first woman to believe the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and become muslim was Khadija radiyallahu anha who the prophet married Khadija Khadija radiyallahu anha who the prophet married his first wife and the first of the children to become Muslim was Ali ibn Abi Talib. Ali ibn Abi Talib. And it's also mentioned about the first of the freed slaves was Zayd ibn Haritha. Anhu. And the first of the actual slaves, Bilal ibn Rabah. Bilal ibn Rabah. He was the first of the slaves to become Muslim and everybody knows or most of you will know the story of Bilal and he was a slave and he was the first of the slaves to become Muslim. So Ali ibn Abi Talib is from the early Muslims also and his children, two of them of course are very famous, the grandsons of the Prophet wasallam, and their names were Al-Hasan and Al-Husayn. Al-Hasan and Al-Husayn. So, if somebody now asks you, who are the best of this nation, of the Muslim Ummah? Who are the best after the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? We can say, the first is Abu Bakr As-Siddiq, the second is Umar ibn al-Khattab. The third is Uthman ibn Affan. And the fourth is Ali ibn Abi Talib. Anhum. And the companions, they are all companions. And the companions, they are the ones who met the Prophet wasallam, believing in him and died upon Islam. Some scholars, they say you can only be considered a companion if you narrated a hadith from the messenger. But there are many companions, they didn't narrate any hadith. You won't find their names in the chains of narration of hadith. And that's why the scholars have mentioned this condition is not a valid condition. You do not have to have narrated a hadith to be considered a companion. As long as you met the Prophet ﷺ, even if it was for a moment. Doesn't have to be that you stayed with the Messenger for a week or a month. 
could be that one moment you met the messenger, then that would be sufficient to be deemed and to be considered a companion. So this is the topic. In one hadith, the Prophet wasallam said, عَلَيْكُمْ بِسُنَّةِ وَسُنَّةِ الْخُلَفَاءِ الرَّاشِدِينَ الْمَهْدِيِّينَ مِنْ بَعْدِي Upon you, the Prophet said, upon you is to cling on, to stick to my sunnah, the hadith, the sunnah, the religion, and the sunnah of al-khulafa, who are the khulafa, the khalifa, the four that we've just mentioned, Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, radiallahu anhum, they are the Khulafa al-Rashidin, the rightly guided caliphs who were in charge after the death of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Any questions up to there so far? We'll mention uh, some of that next week, but it is impermissible, it is haram, of course, to speak bad about any of the companions. We never ever speak bad about any of the companions of the Prophet And one of the reasons, because Allah in the Quran said He is pleased with them. And if Allah is pleased with all of the companions, then how can we possibly say anything? bad about the companions and there are people out there they curse the companions and they speak bad about the companions and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam forbade us from doing that la tasubbu ashabi do not curse my companions or speak bad about my companions who was the prophet telling this to when the prophet sallallahu said la tasubbu ashabi who is he talking to? Al-Mukhatabun, who are they? The Sahaba? Exactly. The Prophet wasallam was talking to the younger companions. To the younger companions, do not curse my companions, meaning those elder ones, Abu Bakr, Uthman, all of the elder companions. Even the younger companions were being told, do not speak bad about the elder companions. And that means that even if the companions are being advised, do not speak bad about companions, then what therefore of everybody else who comes after the companions? We cannot say anything bad about any of the companions. Even the lowest ranking companion is better than the highest ranking second generation tabi'i in virtue. Not necessarily in hadith and narrations because there were tabi'een who narrated more than some of the companions. Not about narrations and hadith, but in virtue, no tabi'i can go above the virtue of any companion. Even the lowest ranking companion is still superior to the highest ranking tabi'i in terms of virtue. Because the lowest ranking companion still has one virtue that the tabi'i can never get. And that is the virtue of having met the Prophet So no matter how high the ranking of the tabi'i may be, and some of the tabi'in, they have a higher ranking than the companions in hadith and narrations. They do. 
but they will never have an overall higher ranking because overall the lowest ranking companion will still be higher level than the highest ranking tabi'i because of that one thing the companion met the prophet the tabi'i did not there were some muslims alive at the time of the prophet muslims they believed la ilaha illallah but they never met the prophet so they won't be considered as companions even though they were muslims they believed in the messenger they were alive when he was alive but they never actually got to go and meet him so they wouldn't be considered companions they would be considered in the level of the tabi'een even though they are going to be at the age of the companions huh? there are examples and the mukhadaramun as well those who uh, never got to meet the prophet for age and for younger reasons and Najashi is an example they mention as well. He became Muslim, but he never met the Prophet ﷺ. They give an example, I forgot his name now. When the Prophet died, hmm? there's examples, many examples. But when the Prophet died, when the Prophet ﷺ died, they say, there's a, in the seerah, they mention the story in the seerah, that there was an individual, there was an individual who was traveling from Sham or some area there, Iraq or somewhere, traveling to go and meet the messenger. He was a believer, he was a Muslim, and he was traveling to go and see the messenger. And he got to Medina just after the Prophet died. Just when the Prophet had died, he arrived and he only saw him after the Prophet had died. So they say he cannot be considered companion. You have to have met the Prophet when he was alive and to believe in him and to die upon Islam. And there are many examples, famous examples of those who were alive and believers at the time, but they never met the Prophet. So they will not be considered from the companions. They are known as the Mukhadaramun, those who were alive and believed in him, but they did not meet him. That there's a discussion about it, uh, Muhammad, uh, the son of Abu Bakr Siddiq. There's a, a discussion regarding these types of issues about the babies. The babies who were very young and they saw the Prophet. The very young babies at the time who saw the Prophet and, the, and there are narrations about how the Prophet got some dates and he put it into the mouths of some of those babies. Those babies obviously saw the Prophet. So now can we say they are companions or not? You can say yes, they are companions in terms of having met the Prophet and they are born upon the fitrah and they died upon Islam but they are considered as tabi'een when it comes to hadith. They are considered as companions in terms of the virtue of having been alive and met the Prophet but they are considered as tabi'een when it comes to narrations in hadith. In, in, in the, in the uh, ranking of the narrations and the ranking of the chains. So you have some differences about that. But there's a discussion between the scholars. Allah alam uh, about the details of it I don't remember. But there's a discussion between the scholars about that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So some people they say Jabal Uhud, Mount Uhud, the famous mountain in Medina where the battle occurred when the disbelievers they came and there was a battle between them and the Muslims. The second famous battle it happened at mountain, the mountain known as Mount Uhud. And Mount Uhud, the Prophet ﷺ praised it and spoke good about Mount Uhud and said that Mount Uhud loves us and we love it. Can Mount Uhud be considered a believer, a companion? We know that objects, it's in the uh, revelation in the Quran, Sunnah, we know that even objects and stones and trees, they make dua or they supplicate to Allah. They do the tasbih, etc., the praise of Allah. So Mount Uhud falls into that category. So can Mount Uhud be considered a companion? Why not? The mountain cannot be kafir. This is from the creation of Allah. They are all subservient to Allah. That's why you say in the Arabic definition, Man laqiya an nabiya sallallahu alayhi wasallam. You cannot say ma laqiya, man laqiya. Man lil aqil. So it can only be the one that is alive, intelligent, intellectual, rational. So that's going to be the humans, the jinn, etc. But it cannot be uh, objects. No, because animals, they do not come into man. Animal is considered ghayr al-aqil. It is also irrational. Only the humans and the jinn, they will be considered from that. So what about Isa alayhi salam? Isa alayhi salam, Sahabi? He's a companion? He will be, okay, when he comes back, when he comes back, is he Sahabi? Al-Isra al-Mi'raj, on the night of Al-Isra al-Mi'raj, met the Prophet So when Isa alayhi salam comes back, Jesus, when he comes back at the end of time, we know before this earth is finished, Isa alayhi salam will come back first. Is he a companion when he comes back? Is he a companion? He met the Prophet on the night of Islam Mi'raj and we know he's going to die Muslim. As what? As? Okay, but the companions are from the Ummah of the Prophet. Ah. The question makes no sense because the Isa alayhi salam is a messenger. And what level is higher, to be a messenger or to be a companion? To be a messenger, a prophet, a messenger. So we don't even need to discuss whether he's a companion or not. In the definition, yes, it fits. In the definition, it fits. But it doesn't make any sense to say that because Isa salam is already higher level than the companions anyway. Anybody else? Warakat ibn Nawfal, what are you going to say about him? Hmm? He's what? He, we... So what's the question about it? But he died upon the what revelation, uh, the remnants of what remained. Can it be said that he died upon the revelation of the Prophet because at that time the revelation hadn't 
come, so it's not possible to define him as a companion. Well, that's the other thing as well. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned that too in the book, sir. Yeah, yeah, that's it, that's it. That's true. It's mentioned. For that reason as well, they say you, you cannot definitively state as a title that he was from the companions. The munafiq cannot be impossible. Man mu'minan bihi. Allah knows them. The ones who are munafiqun on Yawm al Qiyamah, they will be exposed as munafiqun. Then they are not, they cannot be companions. They are not companions. Impossible to be companions. Man laqiya Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mu'minan bihi. Wa mata ala Islam. Al munafiqun lam yu'minu bihi wa lam yamutu ala Islam. They didn't believe in him and neither did they die upon Islam. If you're talking about us, how do we view things? You know, at the time, the Prophet knew about the Munafiqun as well. He knew about the Munafiqun and in one narration. Hulayfa huh? and Umar ibn Khattab was asking, did the Prophet mention me in their names? But the Munafiqun, we cannot, uh, of course, we cannot say they are from the companions. Anybody else? One second now. Huh. <laughs> okay. So Najashi, like we said, he never met the Prophet So he cannot be considered a companion. But there is a story about how someone became Muslim through him who did meet the Prophet afterwards and did and is therefore classified as a companion. There are some uh, narrations like this and events like this they mention in the seerah like an interesting point. Uh, there are some of those. Mm. The creation, all of the creation in terms of the inanimate and the ghair al-aqil, they are subservient to Allah. They are all subservient, generally speaking. I don't know about animals praying for the Prophet There are specific examples of where the Prophet praised certain animals like his camel and other animals, but praying as a general thing, I don't know about the general statement. There are specifics only. Like the whales or the fish, they pray for the students of knowledge, etc. There are certain examples, but generally, I don't know. Last question. Hmm? Yeah, generally, or everything does that generally. Last one, then go on. The what? Yeah. That's what they were asking before. Uh, we cannot consider him companion like that. Yeah. Alright, we'll stop there. Next week, we're going to talk about the next six. Today we spoke about four. Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, radiallahu anhum. There were 
the ten, there were ten altogether who the Prophet told them you are all going to be in paradise. There are more than ten, but in one hadith there were ten specifically told. The ten who were given the glad tidings of paradise will do the other six next week, insha'Allah ta'ala.